Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, Intentional Conversations podcast community, it does me great pleasure to introduce a friend of NWC, um, my Sora, who I am very proud of, and I love all that she's doing and the voice of authority that she has in this space. And I'm talking about none other than Sasha Thompson. Sasha is the founder of the Equity Equation LLC, a high-touch boutique consulting and coaching firm based in Washington, D.C. area. She has 20 plus years of experience within the education, nonprofit, and tech industries. Sasha's work is about removing barriers or providing support in order to get to a place of equality. She helps executives and leaders have that important dialogue and coach them to the necessary long-term changes that develop institutional cultures of DEI. Sasha is a certified professional diversity coach, four stages of psychological safety, certified coach, and certified diversity and belonging facilitator. She received her bachelor's degree in sociology, concentrating on cultural diversity and ethnicity, and a master's in educational policy, planning, and leadership from the College of William & Mary. Also, she has acquired her master's of business administration from Johns Hopkins University, where she focused on management and marketing. We discovered that we both have that marketing communications background. I'm sure that's gonna surface in our conversation today. But podcast community, You know what we do at this time. We find ways to celebrate, to honor, to appreciate our guest co-host. And so find those emojis, find the chat, whatever way we can make Sasha feel welcome. Let's do so at this time. Sasha, we're so glad you're here. Thank you so very much for accepting our invite, for sharing space with us. And we cannot wait just to, to jump in. Greet this audience in your own way. Oh my gosh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an honor and a pleasure to always be in your company. Um, Hello, everyone. I am so excited and thrilled to be here with you today. Uh, My name again is Sasha Thompson. I am a practitioner. I am a friend, a sister, a bonus mom. I am a lover of dance, a lover of music, a lover of good food, a lover of great desserts, um, a lover of comedy and joy. So yeah, I mean, those are the things right now that are just kind of front and center for me. I'm I'm really thrilled to be here with you. That is great. Thank you so much. And you went straight into actually what I was going to ask you to do. You know, this audience is so familiar with the fact that while we read the credentials, the accolades, right, from their bio, we also like to make sure we are learning some interesting tidbits that maybe we cannot find in someone's bio. So thank you for sharing a little bit more about yourself. And um, I'm going to start with a real, real quick fun question. So who were you rooting for in the NBA um, playoffs? And did your team win? Of course. Yeah, Golden State. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. I was going for Golden State too, so I'm super happy um, for them. So, okay, I had to get that out of the way. It's just a little <laughs> bit of fun tidbit. All righty. So, first and foremost, Sasha, as I mentioned before, you and I both share this marketing communications background. Yes. So, I'm going to jump right in, right? Because I think this is top of mind for so many people, especially as I think back to the opening where we recognize Pride Month and we recognize, of course, Juneteenth. Um, there's a lot of performative marketing that's happening right now that's leaving a bad taste in people's mouths and is creating harm. And I just want to acknowledge that first and foremost. 
And I also want to um, give you a chance to talk about your thoughts and your sentiments, because I know that as someone with a marketing background, this too is of importance to you and is in some ways part of what I understand why you navigated from the, the career that you had before into this work. So let's hear from you, Sasha. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. This is one we could talk a whole hour on. Um, so when I was my last corporate job, I actually led inclusion marketing for um, a large tech company. And this was pre-George Floyd. So part of my challenge was even getting people to understand the importance of thinking about marketing from a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens, um, and not just put faces on things yeah. and to, to make it look as if we were doing something. Um, <clears throat> and so what was really important to me and my team was let's be very intentional about what we're doing, how we are presenting ourselves in this space. Um, are we hitting every aspect of diversity that we can? So part of our, our job or part of um, what we were responsible for was increasing the number of underrepresented technologists in the industry, mm -hmm. right? So having that as our mindset, we're like, okay, well, who can be a technologist? anybody. Mm -hmm. And so it was important for us to reflect that, not just on brochures or on flyers, but who was speaking on stage and not just having them talk about diversity and inclusion, but talk about technology, like they're technologists, right? So let's talk about machine learning. Let's talk about artificial intelligence. And let's talk about it at the intersection of how does your identity impact how you show up at work in this space, right? So I was very um, intentional in making sure that we weren't just putting black and brown faces on things, but we wanted to make sure that we gave them the platform to speak, um, speak truth to power, right? Like if you are an engineer, what made you go into engineering, mm -hmm. right? What are the things that you're working on? And so post George Floyd, um, <coughs> excuse me, what I noticed was, and it wasn't just us, it was every company, right? This right. rush to, okay, what can we do? Low-hanging fruit, check a box to say, yeah. we're, we're on it, right? We, we have yeah. it. And I'm just like, mm -mm, no, no, no. Yeah. And so I got a lot of pushback because I was saying no to things that they thought were great ideas. And I'm like, if you're causing more harm than good to the communities that you're saying you're supporting, then that's very problematic, right? So just as many companies had these listening tours and yes. to, to debrief what was happening, um, one of the things that I did was said, okay, let's bring in someone to talk about racial trauma. Mm. Like, let's start there. And then let's start having conversations um, in smaller groups because maybe not, people don't wanna always share with everyone. right? And then let's have the resources available to the therapist because your manager is not a therapist. <laughs> they may need someone help, help too, um, to be there in support. So it was much more for me. And even in the work that I do now, how do you go just beyond checking the box to truly being intentional and in the impact that you're going to have on the community? Mm. And so that's, that's how I operate now. Um, when I see things, the superficial checkbox things, 
like my skin crawls. So when I saw, um, you know, the Juneteenth ice cream or the paper goods, you know, where it's like the freedom for us. I'm like, oh my, like, oh, okay. Don't forget the equitable Vaseline, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. All, all the things. Um, and so I think it's just very problematic when one, it's just to check a box Two, your, you may be causing more harm, not only to the communities, but to your brand. Like, is that who you really want to be known as? Um, And three, how how can you rethink what you're trying to do so that you can be more impactful, Mm -hmm. right? Walmart Mm -hmm. could have actually partnered with the Black-owned ice cream company that they were selling to highlight them during that time, right? So Target did a great job of that in Black History Month, and they continue to support those companies. So for me in marketing, it really was more than how, what, what do we look like on the outside? It's like, how are we impacting those communities and how can we take what we are known for and use that as a caveat to get into those communities and share and then create wealth and all of that. So that was my soapbox. (laughs) No, we appreciate that soapbox. Very well stated. So I placed into the chat, we really like to share resources here. And I placed into a chat, just an article um, that I released today. Um, And it's it's entitled, Is Performative Marketing Helpful or Harmful? Why Mm -hmm. it's both? And Sasha, you and I were talking about this a little bit at the start. And the reason for the question of why it's both is there are a number of people that are of the persuasion that if I am part of an underrepresented population, a marginalized population, and I see myself in some of the marketing, some of the ads, I feel that I feel seen, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so really the question becomes, I would love for you to talk about is where, where, if any, from your vantage point, are there instances where it could produce some level of benefit? And what are the circumstances under which those benefits really can have sustainable, meaningful output and not just in that moment. Yeah, I mean, I think um, if it's done with the right intentions, it can absolutely be amazing. It, but it goes beyond just that moment. Yes. Right? What else are you doing and how are you continuing that conversation or that um, your goal by, by doing other things, right? So last night I had a... a webinar I did where it was, is DEI a movement or a moment? Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do you take those moments and string them together to become a movement? Yes. Right. How do you do that so that it's long-term is sustainable? Um, And how do you do it in a way that is not, uh, what's the word? Um, Tokenizing people because there's a fine line. Yeah, yeah. Um, So a great example, um, in that last job, one of the things that I did was we, we, I was in charge of all of our diversity conversations and topics at our conferences. Mm -hmm. And I had a deaf technologist Mm -hmm. as a panelist. Mm -hmm. And I got so much pushback because they were just like, well, how are we going to, how's anybody going to know what he's saying? We don't, and I'm like, there's a whole thing about ASL. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a whole, you know, like, 
Yeah. And it was just the workarounds for this. Yeah. Right. Like we can do this. But it was the first time that we had someone that was a technologist that was deaf talking about the technology and not talking about being deaf and in tech. Right. 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 So again, it's it's the slight nuances of are we doing this to be performative or to um, exploit people? Mm-hmm. Or are we trying to send a different message around how we are really trying to impact the communities that we're touching? Yeah. Right. And so it, it requires a deeper level of understanding of this work and understanding the communities that you're trying to reach. Because if you're not even in communication with them and you're putting something out, you really can be causing a whole lot more harm yeah. than good. Yeah. Yeah. So one more question on this before we move on, because again, this is such a big topic. Um, So the criticism is around a lot of brands um, really engaging in acts that feel very performative, which is, which is harmful to many different communities. But then there's also criticism and maybe they're kind of one of the same in some regards they are definitely connected, but there's also criticism around valuing capital profit over people, basically. So the whole capitalistic capitalism type of drive, but what do you say to those individuals, Sasha, that are like, we are a for-profit business. We are, we are not in the space of social responsibility. And so why are you judging us for this? Because I've heard that argument as well from many brands they're like what do you expect where you know so anyway I just what do you say to those organizational leaders who are of that persuasion again it goes back to intentionality yeah right um so I'm going to use Bath and Body Works as an example for Black History Month they took some of their candles Mm -hmm. put kente cloth on them Black History Month there was an opportunity to partner with black candle makers mm-hmm. to provide them with the platform to give them access. Yeah. What does that do for Bath and Body Works? People will now just not coming in to buy that candle. They're like, oh, okay, I'm going to buy some of these other things too. So it increases their profits regardless. Right. right? So they're sharing their platform. And I think that there's opportunities. Again, it goes back to how do we step back to say, who are we really trying to impact here and how can we best impact them, right? And so that it's a win-win, right? Because oftentimes it's about opportunity. It's about access. And by creating those opportunities, it puts that company in a much better light than when we see the the craziness and then it's bad PR and PR is now having to come in and issue apologies. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I have encouraged to marketing communications professionals, especially those that are like on the PR side is you need to start building into your crisis management plan um, messaging that helps to course correct for when your, your brand, your company misses the mark around this whole broad diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation because it is happening left and right. So, yeah. okay, so we have we have definitely delved into that topic, but I thought it was important. So thank you for that, for that moment in time. Mm-hmm. So um, what are you seeing in the industry? How is DEI evolving from your vantage point? Ooh. I think we are, and we've been to some extent, um, but I think it's been exacerbated in the last two years coming to a crossroads of, are we still checking boxes? Mm-hmm. Or are we really trying to do this work? Yeah. 
Um, and I think with the increase in the number of quote unquote DEI professionals coming into the space in the last few years, um, you're starting to see that divide as well too, right? So for me, most of the work that I do um, really is about long-term sustainable, like how can we shift cultures, shift behaviors, shift how we're approaching this to become a more inclusive organization right. than um, let me come in and do a workshop, right? Mm -hmm. I've stopped doing workshops, one-off workshops because right. the data, like it doesn't do anything. It doesn't change anything. Right. Um, and so that's where I'm starting to see things go. It's how do we do long-term sustainable? The other thing that I'm noticing is everything has become very politicized. Yeah. And so there are certain words that will shut organizations down so immediately. True. And I think DEI is DEI, whatever iteration that people use um, is becoming one of those. Mm -hmm. They see DEI like, nope, yeah, I don't want anything to do with it, right? That's a leftist ideal and they go down that very politically charged path. When I start talking about how do we make sure everyone within the organization feels that they are valued, seen, and included, mm -hmm. that tends to, okay, yeah, that's important to us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I would say 90% of my clients right now come to me because they are interested in psychological safety. Mm -hmm. That's the buzzword. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, if we're going to talk about psychological safety, let's measure it for what it, for what it looks like for your team. Mm -hmm. And then I can create a plan, a six to 12 month plan on how we're going to shift the culture of your organization so that it's not just around psychological safety, but inclusion. We're, you know, and, we're, and I pull in all of the same things right. without having to say or talk about DEI. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate the um, acknowledgement of how words sometimes can be a barrier for people to really engage meaningfully into certain conversations. Do you think that also, though, it could be a crutch? Because I, I believe that there are a number of people that um, even at their core, regardless of what you call it, because we've, we've added so many different acronyms, you know, yep. the JEDI, that we've added, we've added all the alphabets, right? And, and I was part of the group that also was kind of adding to the alphabets. And I finally thought, you know what, it is what it is. We need to call it what it is and stop giving people a pass from saying, I'm uncomfortable with that language and, and help them to just accept it. So where, where is the balance there, Sasha? And I really don't know. This is something that I grapple with quite often too, because there was a time that I would say, okay, we're not going to use the words DEI. We're going to talk about it as how do we, you know, um, effectively leverage human difference, you know? <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, it is what it is. And it is so, what it is. Yeah. yeah. What's the balance there for you? I mean, I think um, I'm in the same boat. And it's not that I don't say DEI. Well, sure. I, yeah. You know, it's, I try not to add the other letters. <laughs> the we're gonna yeah. get to like how it's you know the plus. I'm just gonna say the DEI yeah. plus. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I don't even think people have the fundamental understanding of what diversity, equity, and inclusion are. Yeah. Right. 
And so I'm like, how, let's define each of these because many people from many people, they're all the same. It's one right. thing. Exactly. And I'm like, they're very different uh, things. Yeah. Yes. And so, and I'm like, and how is your organization defining it? Because right. I guarantee when you say diversity to one person, no one is going to come up with the same definition, right? Everyone is looking at it differently. So if you have um, set in place, this is what diversity means here. This is what equity means here. And it's different than equality, right? Like let's right, have that right, conversation. That and then let's talk about what does inclusion look like? Yeah. And so um, for a lot of my work, many of the companies I work with have defined diversity pretty well. Um, so we don't, that's why we don't really don't touch on that. And I focus on the inclusion part right now, because that's where they're struggling. Folks, their voices aren't being heard. They're not being seen. They're not getting promoted, like whatever the issues are. So I'm like, let's deal with that. And then once we define what those things are, now let's talk about equity. What does yeah. equity look like within your organization? How do you start to balance this out? Yeah. And it's not giving everybody the same thing. Absolutely. It's definitely not giving everybody the same thing. What I love about your practice, your work, your platform is that you are really intentional about giving back to practitioners who are in this space, helping them to kind of find their, their way. Um, and, you know, quite honestly, while I've loved the, the greater attention, the deepened attention that's been given to our work and our discipline, um, in some regards, there have been a lot of questions of um, how, do, how do we better regulate it? And if that's even, you know, the, the best word to use there, because there are a lot of people who overnight became DEI experts, right? Of course, yeah. And so, so here's the thing. Um, many consultants are joining this space. And are they moving the needle? Are we moving the needle and putting myself into that? Or are we just making noise? Because that's kind of the argument that I'm hearing sometimes. Yeah. I think it's a little of both. Yeah. I think there are a number of practitioners, practitioners, that have come in, no, I'm not gonna even call them practitioners. There are a number of people that do DEI consulting yeah, yeah. that came into it because they saw it as, as a lucrative industry. Yes, yes. Right? And they have a very set way of creating things based on their experiences. Um, I think they are causing, and it's starting to trickle out now, mm -hmm. some damage. Mm -hmm. Because I'm now talking to folks that are like, I've worked with this consultant mm. and they scared us, they yelled at us, they didn't give us, I mean, it's just the list of that experience yeah. has been horrible. Um, and then now they're like, okay, now we need to actually do some work. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing that, I'm seeing, um, a number to your point earlier around people coming into it about passion. Yeah. And, and I'm like, okay, but what else you got? I know, right? I often say passion only would take you so far. You know, you need both will and skill to be right. work and do it effectively. And I'm just like, what else do you bring to the table? Like what other skill set do you what have? Yeah. Is it again marketing? Is it strategy development? Is yeah. it program development? Is like what else is it? that you have because this work is hard and that passion will wane yeah yeah and so yeah. you need to be able to fall back on a skill set that 
you can marry with DEI, um, that, that can push this forward. The other thing that I've started saying to a lot of people that are coming to me and saying, hey, I'm interested in getting into DEI. And I'm like, no, stay in your role and look at it from an, an equitable and inclusive lens. Right. You can do DEI work not having a title of DEI. And that is the message that I think so many people miss. Yes. You know, they feel like it's only, it only should be owned and it only belongs to those who are charged with the title of DEI officer, manager, director, leader, or even like the mm-hmm. HR professionals. It belongs to all of us. So yes. I love that message. And we need for more people to gravitate to that. Yeah. And I'm like, that's how this work becomes. You know, I talk about DEI needs to be in the company DNA, mm-hmm. right? And so how it becomes part of the DNA is when you have people that are looking at things from an equitable lens in accounting, in finance, in marketing, in product design, in product development. Like when you have people that are thinking about this from a DE with a DEI lens, that's how we get this work done. Absolutely. Right. And the chief diversity officer is just helping put some of the pieces together. Yeah, they're just the resource. They're not the sole owner of the work. And you know what else frustrates me about that, Sasha, is that there are so many organizations where their DEI function sits under HR. And I get, I understand why, but to your point a moment ago, it just doesn't affect people ops. It affects everything. And I think that's one of the misses. And so I am often, when I am asked to advise around where should this role fit, yeah, I'm saying it needs to report directly to your, your top senior level leader, your CEO, yep. your president, but it needs to certainly have those strategic alliances and influence across all areas of the organization, not just the HR piece. Yeah, I did a, um, a blog post a couple months ago that basically said your DEI efforts are failing because it sits in HR. Yeah. <laughs> and a big part of that was HR is about people process. Let's protect the company, mitigate risk, right? Yeah, right. Um, when you have HR leaders that haven't even done their own internal work, but now they're charged with doing DEI, it's a conflict of interest, right? And if you have people that are having, dealing with the isms, racism, sexism, ableism, whatever it is in the workplace, and again, they're going to HR. HR's first thing is how we protect the company. They're not thinking about this employee. Right. right. To the extent of if there's something really legitimate there, but it's not egregious, yeah. the lowest hanging fruit is going to be protect the company. Yeah. And so that's that's part of the challenge in this. And I can like my experience, again, one of the reasons why I left the corporate space is we had a a DEI leader who had never done diversity work before and proudly told people she had never done diversity work before Mm. and used that almost as a a way to say, you know, I've never done diversity work, but look, here I am leading this for this large tech company. Yeah. Yeah. And so when George Floyd happened, I I was sitting back eating my popcorn because I'm just like, okay, what you going to do now? Yeah. Because you don't know how to deal with Black people. <laughs> so yeah. how are you going to help and protect and support when you haven't even done the internal work yourself and you are showing up in a way that is harmful? Yeah. So I think that um, I'm, I'm a huge, huge believer in what you said, 
that role needs to sit outside of HR. It's in partnership with HR. Absolutely, absolutely. But it's in partnership with every other aspect of the business as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, you and I are definitely aligned on that. And, you know, and let's face it, it's only in recent years that a lot of these, you know, structured HR programs have started to build in a lens of DEI. That was never really a a true focus of HR. And so we just can't assume that because someone has background and experience and training in HR, that automatically the work of DEI is going to find its way very effectively in the center of all of that. So I am, I'm definitely aligned with you on that. And I want, I'm going to add too, when you look at SHRM, yeah. who is leading the charge in this, when you look at the demographics of who's in HR, that should tell you every, anything you need to know anyway, right? Yeah. It's very problematic. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I agree. I'm paying attention to the chat and there's some really good stuff that's coming up. So, so Toki says HR equals human remains. Oh, that gutted me, but that was, yes, yes, yes. And then Tina McDaniel shares the importance of DEI work has been minimized by placing folks in DEI roles where there is a lack of will and skill. And what people don't realize is when you do that, it hurts the entire, it compromises the entire turf, right? We need to be protecting the full turf, not compromising it. I'm all for giving people an opportunity but that is that is not the best way to be able to um, sustain this work, right? Because then it is there's a stain that's cast on it as you know maybe see it's not strategic, it's not important, it's not necessary. You don't have to be effective. It doesn't take all of that. And uh, yes, absolutely, it does. Which brings me to my next question, though, Sasha, because I know that you do a lot of coaching around individuals that are practitioners in this space. And you're releasing, in fact, a new practicum coaching program in September. I want you to give the audience an opportunity to understand what that is for, what was the impetus for it, probably relates a lot to what we're talking about. But yeah, let us know. (laughs) Yeah, so the um, what I'm calling is the DEI practitioner practicum. It's for folks that are in the first five years of their DEI experience. Um, And I say specifically DEI experience because many people have been working for several years, but they're now doing DEI and they're just like, okay, I don't know (laughs) what I'm doing. And so it really came from a couple of things. One, one one-on-one coaching with practitioners and the types of questions that I was getting over and over and over again. And I've done a couple of group coaching programs with practitioners. And again, some of the same things. And so this is a six month program and I call it a practicum because it is, you're going to learn, but I also want you to bring in the challenges that you're having yeah. in day to day and we're going to work through it together, right? So there's one-on-one coaching, there's group coaching. I'm doing deep dives on key topics yeah. um, because that's another thing that comes up quite a bit. So I had someone <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago say, I hear a lot about diversity. I hear a lot about inclusion. No one is really talking about equity in this space. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? That's the so I'm like, you know it. what? Let's have a deep dive, right? Yeah. So we're going to be doing a deep dive on that topic. Um, just part of my community, my larger community. But those are the types of things in this practicum that folks will be able to get out of it. And so ultimately it's how do I do my job better? How do I learn from other practitioners Because again, one of the things that I hear often is I reach out to practitioners on LinkedIn and I get crickets, right? Mm -hmm. No one really wants to talk to me or I have a hard time making some of those connections. And so that's in this practicum, I'm like, I'm bringing in the practitioners 
like you don't have to hear from me because I mean I could talk all day but <laughs> hear from other folks in this space hear from people that are are specialists in these key areas um, and so that's what this that practicum is really about it's building community it's increasing knowledge it is um, also honing in on your why mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's go beyond passion yes. and let me Let's talk about your values. Let's talk about your skill sets. Let's connect the dots yep. so that you don't have to be um, a jack of all trades in this space. Mm-hmm. Like know your lane because I know my lane. <laughs> so yes, yes, that is really good because, you know, sometimes I, I, I find that people believe that they have to do all things under this broad umbrella. There's so much work to be done that uh, we need sometimes for people to have different specialties and a, a very specific niche in which, you know, they can they can be tapped for that, that deepened knowledge um, and expertise around solving for issues that are relevant to those topics. And so I appreciate that. I value the work that you're doing, Sasha, to help practitioners in this space to get more grounded, to get better support. And so uh, let me know if there's anything that I can do as you are continuing to engage this population of practitioners that we want to be successful. Because I, I do agree that sometimes, you know, we have to lift as we climb. We don't always get to where we are on our own. Someone has helped us in our journey too. So we Absolutely. have to make sure as, as veterans, as those who are with deep experience can help mentor those newbies. And the other yeah. piece I forgot to mention that's a part of that too, which is such a critical part of just my practice and all the things that I do is self-care. Yes. Like, I look at DEI practitioners as the frontline workers in corporate spaces when the foolishness happens <laughs> outside the company. Um, and so how do we take care of ourselves and what does that look like? Yeah. And how, even if it's five minutes a day and what you can do to make sure that you're centering and grounding yourself. Um, and so that's, that's a huge part of what I share with them too. No, that's good. Yeah. Self-care and wellness is really important for, for those who are working in this space. You know, we have to um, be on, you know, more times than not. We don't, we don't get as much grace when we say, I need to take a step back because, you know, people know you were called to this work. You're, you know, you're, you are positioned to do this work. So even in the hard times, we're going to lean on you because this is what you signed up for. And so, yes, reminding those practitioners to take a step back and to recharge and refuel is, is so critical. Yeah. So I'm seeing lots of good stuff into the chat. So we're going to now shift a little bit. I will um, let you all know that if you have some thoughts and curiosities you're holding, or even just some contributions you wanna make to this conversation, we wish to invite you to unmute yourself and share. You can raise your hand and be called upon. I'm going to, um, first of all, Sasha, there's a lot of folks who are saying, sign me up for your practicum. And so you'll definitely have to give us instructions for how people can um, connect with you. Cause I know it's not releasing until September, but I would imagine that prior to that, then you will be um, taking signups or allowing people to register. And so um, if you could share that with us, it would be great. I actually just put my LinkedIn in the chat. So if awesome. people wanna connect with me on LinkedIn and just send me a note, I can get that information out to you. Thank you so much, Sasha. Okay, so Sean, Sean Cole. And Sean, I don't know if you want to unmute yourself and share, but you did have a really astute comment in the chat that I want to amplify. Um, Can DEI be strategically successful in the long term without being under the umbrella of HR? So talent acquisition and succession planning. So this is digging a little bit deeper into our conversation earlier about where should this function in this role sit? And what are the implications if it doesn't sit directly in HR? I've said something before that's been pretty controversial. Um, 
but I, I agree with Nika in it needs to report into the CEO um, or, well, I said and versus an or, report into the CEO, COO. So yeah. one of those senior level folks yeah. and I believe HR should report into that person. Mm-hmm. So it's a shift. Yeah. yeah. Because again, if, and I've, I said that, I might've done a post or something on it and people lost their minds when I said it, but you know, when you step back and think about if DEI is a part of the DNA of the organization, it needs to touch everything. Yes. And so people are a part of that. And that's the one way you infuse or you ensure that HR is looking at things with an equitable lens, right? Their policies and practices are in an equitable lens. And so that's where I think it could be most successful. Yeah. If it steps out of, and yeah, if it's part of CEO, COO, part of the organization. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I stand behind, you know, my sentiments around this as well, Sean. And, and again, I think it's important to amplify there. We're not saying in absence of, we're saying definitely in partnership with close partnership. But I think the main point to amplify is that this work of DEI does not only impact people ops, it impacts so many other areas. And so I appreciate that um, being raised to the conversation. Okay, so if you have a question um, and you would like to present it live, then um, please feel free to raise your hand or unmute yourself and share. I'm seeing some comments into the chat, but I don't want to assume that um, people do not want to present their questions on their own. Okay, so I'm seeing Tina's question. Tina, I'm gonna present your question for you. And if you are interested in maybe elaborating, certainly put your hand up and I will um, spotlight you. Um, By virtue of organizational structures, DEI typically falls under the HR umbrella. What are your thoughts around how those of us who are in HR can be effective, particularly when we are unable to impact the org structure? What would you say to that, Sasha? Oh, that's tough. this is where strategy comes in, right? I, and I, t- I tell my coaching clients this too, because many of them do fall in HR. And I'm like, who are your accomplices in other parts of the business? And how do you tap into them? And how do you get them to partner with you or do lead things with you helpfully guiding them from behind, right? That's how you start to impact some of the structure, because now folks will start to see, oh, okay, this is happening in this part of the organization. This is happening over here. Maybe we need to rethink how we're doing this, right? So it's not a direct, we need to reorg. It's based on how things are happening within the organization. People start to step back and realize, okay, maybe we need to rethink this. Um, there are a few companies that do have that structure. Um, and so maybe it's looking at them and seeing how they're set up and, and really learning from them. Um, I, I was thinking of one in particular where they started their DEI person in HR, moved them to the CEO. And then the CEO was just like, this is way too much. I can't take it and move them back to HR, right? So it was less about the organization than it was who was in the role and what they, how willing they were to push the agenda forward. 
based on their comfort level, right? So again, you're dealing with people. Um, that That's a big challenge. I don't know, Nika, what would you... I, you know, I, I tend to agree with you, Sasha. I do believe that um, there have been some ways in which organizations have creatively assigned that role and that function to where maybe it was kind of a blended approach. But what I know about those situations is that they were leaders and professionals who also had a depth of training around not just the HR function, but very explicitly the DEI function and role as well. Um, and that's not to say that individuals who are in HR that have not gone through more of the traditional programs where it did not incorporate that deep lens of DEI learning, that they can't go back and get that training. I think when we're talking about somebody that's at that CDO level, it is important to make sure that the strategies and the strategic framework around really how to infiltrate this throughout the DNA of the organization is solid. It's, it's almost like would you hire someone that's over your finance that has not had the proper training to really be able to do that for an organization. So or can't balance their own checkbook. Exactly. So I think sometimes what we miss is, is really just thinking about it in a practical way of how would we address this decision if it weren't in the DEI space, but if it was for another department head, right? So anyway, I'm seeing a couple of hands go up and I want to make sure that we um, can, can, can get those comments in. So um, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely, Tina. Thank you. Let's go to Jared. Hi, Jared. How are you? Thanks for joining today. Yeah. Hi, Nika. Hi, Sasha. You. I'm, I'm, I'm so unavailable most of the time, so I was glad I could make this today and hear, hear the two Likewise. of you. It's been fascinating. Um, Sasha, I loved what you said that HR needs to report into DEI. And as we know, because I've been in, I've been in-house on tech companies working on the EI teams who report into HR and the CHRO or the equivalent, you know, maybe means well, maybe doesn't, but almost inevitably, invariably doesn't have the fluency, the drive, the commitment, and it becomes a risk averse, you know, all the things we, we know. So I'm curious to hear more about, I mean, I think your idea is brilliant. Have you had any receptivity to that? Because it really becomes, in my mind, like a power dynamics thing, because that shift is huge. So if the, if the HR person is running things, then that person has all the power and the decision making, right? But if the DEI person has the power, then we can get it done. So I'm just curious to hear more about, you know, the receptivity you've had to that idea, if any, and, and just love to hear a little bit more, you know, a little more details on, on where that could go. And maybe, maybe has gone if you've seen any of, if, if, if you've seen it work yet. Yeah. So I think that was one of my posts that ended up with, I don't know, like 30,000 views. Like it was just ridiculous. Like, you know how you have some posts that some people see and that one, I woke up the next morning, like what in the world has happened? But I think part of that was and what was interesting about it, folks in that were in HR roles, and at first there was a visceral reaction to like, no, that would never work. And then the conversation started to change to, oh, but you know what? It probably could work if X, Y, and Z, right? So I think that one, the CDO role is fairly new. And so there's a lot that's not known about what that role does. Um, and I think once that becomes a little bit more solidified in the industry um, and what the expectations of that role are, 
and how it should be an umbrella to everything, you'll start to, it, it may shift. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what other teams go under that CDO role is another part of that conversation too, because you can't just have HR, right? So what does the structure look like when you have a chief diversity officer that has folks reporting into them? You know, is it someone from the product team? Is it a dual relationship? Like, so those are things that we still need to kind of need to figure out. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those, one of my thoughts that I was like, yeah, let me throw this out there and see what sticks. Yeah, I love it. I hope me it, too. Me I hope too, it gains Yeah, I hope it gains yeah. traction. I'm glad yeah. you did because again, this industry, this space, just like other spaces, we have to be innovative. We have to you know, bring forth some reframing and reimagining of how in which we're doing things. And so if nothing else, I like the fact that it sparked really good banter around people interrogating their thoughts on, could this work? Could it not work? How, could it, how can it work? And I think we need more of that. So good to see you, Jared. Thanks so much. And by the way, Jared has a great book out. It's called White Men Confronting Racism. And so right there. Yeah, I know. I have mine on my <laughs> shelf too. We appreciate you, Jared. <laughs> okay, we have some hands up. Um, Alicia, Alicia McConnell. I'm actually going to spotlight you now. Thank you kindly for being here. Hi, thank you. Hi, uh, hi Alicia. I'm calling in from Dublin, Ireland. Oh, fantastic. Ireland. And, yeah. and. So I work uh, in the sports space and in many sport organizations, like DEI is separate from disability. So I sort of wanted to know your thoughts there. One of the things I was actually discussing today was, yes, with diversity, equity, inclusion and explaining those differences um, and some similarities. We talk a lot about belonging. I don't know if anyone tuned into the NCAA conference. They had a long day of sessions. Really, it wasn't a long, it was a great day. It was, um, and so those were just a couple questions and I, sorry, I had to write them all down. Um, and then lastly, I, I often use um, different emojis because emo- most emojis were, were in the beginning with emojis, they were all, to me, they were all white. So I, I tend to use a darker emoji and I've sort of been called out, like, you can't do that. And so I wanted to get your feedback on that. Like, even with my raised hand here, I, like, is that me being stupid? Thank you. <laughs> like, ooh, where do we start? Yeah, um, oh, it's a really good question, Alicia. Thank you. Yeah, so let me work, let's work our way backwards. The emoji thing, my my thing with emojis is use whatever you want to use. Like I, <laughs> what you feel like using, use it. Um, it's just like, um, I, I do a session on identities and it's like, no one can tell you what your identity is. Like you own your identity. And so I, I look at the emojis the same, the same way. If you want to be a purple unicorn in your emoji, fine, go for it, right? If that's what, your spirit. Um, the second thing that you talked about was the use of belonging. And it goes back to what we were talking about with just kind of the alphabet suit of all of this. And I think belonging is one of those phrases that was used to kind of soften the blow of what the work is. And I'm like, if we can't get from diversity, equity, and inclusion, then there's no way I'm gonna belong. 
right? If we can't even talk about inclusion, there's no way I can belong. And so I tend to not use belonging when I have some of these conversations, knowing that other people do, um, like justice is another one. If we can't have a conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion, how are we gonna even get to justice, right? And to me, justice is part of the equity piece. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that's kind of my, my thought process on that. And then I think the first question you had was the disability being separate from DEI. Um, what I have found is that when organizations focus on disability, it really is about accessibility and not necessarily about the DEI aspect of disability, right? How can we make sure that you have accommodations? How can we make sure that things are accessible um, for you? But it's somewhat separate and apart from the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation. To me, disability is a part of the that, and accessibility, um, all of those other things fall into that. I did a podcast with Sherry Byrne Haber um, a couple of months ago, and we talked about that, right? How to look at the disability community with a more inclusive lens. And I think that she just she's one of the people that I um, really look up to in that space. Again, that's not my my wheelhouse, but I know who to follow and who to talk to in that space. Um, and so I I try to be, and I hate the word ally, but I try to um, do what I can to increase visibility of the disability space so that it's not left out of the DEI conversation. So I hope that answered helped. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. What was her name? Sherry Byrne Haber. I'll, okay. I'll put it in the chat. Oh, cool. Thank you so much. Yep. Alicia, I love the fact that you feel so much agency to use whatever emoji that you want to. I mean, for me, what I thought about is that this is a way, it's small and it's subtle, but it is a way for us to start um, really just, you know, chopping down this whole centering of whiteness, you know, and I think that's mm -hmm. important. I mean, for the longest, you know, people of color didn't have an option of another type of emoji. We had to pick, you know, the white emojis. And so um, I think there's something to be said for that. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing your question. Okay, Tracy, I'm coming to you next. I'm adding you to the spotlight. Thank you for being here. Share your question or comment. Thank you. I'll try to be quick. Um, so a lot of what we talked about has been the strategy part of, of the conversation. And I was wondering if we could get into some of the tools and, and if you don't wanna give away your trade secrets, I understand, but kind of point us in the direction of where we might be able to get some tools for measuring inclusion and equity. And, and the reason I'm saying this is because I've kind of, as a practitioner, grown a little frustrated when agencies say they're supportive of DEI, but they really mean that representational diversity only. And it's so hard to get them out of that mindset of th that's what this looks like. It's just a bean counting, X number of blacks. Bucking seats, yep. Yes, so I want to see some tools around inclusion and equity so that we can start expanding their mindsets to include those other factors or dimensions. Thank you. Ooh, there's a ton of them out there, which I think is part, part of the challenge. Um, 
what I will say is I use, and again, I, I mentioned this earlier, um, a lot of my clients come to me around psychological safety because the first stage of psychological safety is inclusion, right? So I do an assessment around psychological safety and I find that that's a great opportunity to have conversations about how people are experiencing that space. But before I even do the assessment, I ask that client, I need to talk to at least five to 10 people that you consider marginalized. Like that would be from marginalized communities because I wanna hear their experiences and I wanna make sure that those experiences aren't lost in that assessment. Because what we often do is, oh, if we only hear it from one or two people, right? We dismiss that as not important. Mm -hmm. But so I wanna make sure that I balance what I'm hearing from them with what the results are saying. And then I can present that leader with a score. And what I've been able to do and say to them is this is your score. This isn't your team score. This is how you create psychological safety for them. So if it's low, that's a reflection of you as a leader. Now, what can we do to change that, right? And so it's been fabulous in that they start to understand, okay, I need to do some different things here in order for people to feel valued, seen, heard, connected, right? So it's less of, so it's more around like, how do we measure inclusion? How do we measure how people are showing up? How comfortable do they feel speaking up, mm -hmm. right? Because stage four is challenger safety. If I can't speak up and say something is wrong because I feel that you're going to punish me in some way, then I'm not gonna give you the best of who I am. So I find that that tends to be a really great avenue to get in to, um, with a lot of my clients. <clears throat> there are some other inclusion and equity tools that are out there that I think are helpful. And some, um, a lot of consultants actually have created their own as well too. So it really is based on who you're working with you know, what they're doing. What I will say is the psychological safety one that I currently use, the one downfall and why I do the one-on-ones is because it doesn't have a way to cut demographic data. And so I'm working with someone now to be able to do that. How can I measure psychological safety and tell you what it looks like at the intersection of identities? Mm -hmm. Really rich. Thank you so much, Tracy, for your question and for being here today. We are at the top of the hour, but Sasha, I want to give you our remaining 30, 60 seconds to close this out in whatever way that feels good to you. If there's something we haven't touched on that you're having a lot of energy for, I want to give you the time now to share that. This has just been fabulous. Um, I did put in the chat the episode. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong one. That was, well, actually, that's one on strategy if anybody wants strategy. But the one with oh, Sherry, Dr. Sam is amazing. She's been on our podcast before too. So that's another really good resource to follow. Yes. So I'm going to, the one with inclusion of accessibility with uh, Sherry. Let me put in here. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so no, I mean, I think this has been fabulous. If anyone, I put my LinkedIn chat, LinkedIn in there to connect with me. I think it's having these conversations are so important, right? Right. It's we are very rarely have the opportunity to be able to connect and dialogue. And so anytime that we can do that, we learn and grow from each other. Um, and so I'm always willing to be a part of those conversations and ensuring that people feel part of this larger 
um, industry and community. So thank you, thank you so much for having me. This has been an honor and a blessing and I'm just, my cup has been filled for today. <laughs> Thank you. Likewise, the same on this side. I appreciate you, Sasha. I appreciate each of you joining us today. And if this conversation has been useful for you, then feel free to share it with others. Make sure they catch the replay or join the podcast. There are lots of other questions that are popping up. Again, I encourage you all to connect with Sasha and I'm sure she'll be more than willing to be a resource to you. So thank you all so very much. Have a wonderful weekend. Yeah.